Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast with your host, Matt the Family Guy, Kent the Cat Guy, Jacqueline from JP Mint, and Greg the Single Guy, bringing you episodes from around the world about the best kept secret in education. You got it, international teaching. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the International Teacher Podcast. This is Jacqueline from JP Mint, and I'm here with Greg the Single Guy and Kent the Cat Guy. Hi, guys. Hey, hey good morning. Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're at, <laughs> JP Mint and the Single Guy. Good to see you. And today we are joined by Ryan Tannenbaum in South Korea. Hi, Ryan. Hi, yeah, pleasure to be here. Hey, Ryan, thanks for coming on. Ryan and I worked together in China a couple years ago. I'm trying to think, Ryan, was that um, I, you were part of the original OCAS. You were the OG OCAS, weren't you? Back when we called it OCAS. We worked at a school that went through many transitions, (laughs) but um, there's a a very small group of people who were there for the foundation year. And that was me and, you know, seven other teachers. Jackie joined um, halfway through the year. Uh, She came in to help set up the boarding program. Originally we were just elementary school, uh, elementary IB. And then we grew, we grew from like 300 kids to like 3,200 kids in um, like three years. Um, Yeah. I spent like the beginning of that. I, I mean, we'll get into it. But I spent the beginning of that as like a PYP homeroom teacher, MYP language arts teacher, IT tech director, slash you know COVID triaging keeping <laughs> the school up and running. Um, it was an experience. It was fun. Yeah, and then the last time we saw each other was probably twenty uh, twenty when I moved to Guangzhou. You did you move it as well? that point i think or did you no you stayed one more year i might have get the time i think i left 2021 i, I think i was a, just had a baby i was in korea doing everything like overseas and then, yeah so that's how ryan and i know each oh. other quick question there for you ryan maybe not so quick uh ryan you're someone who's made a lot of transitions and jumps in your educational career and we're going to get into that can you tell us how you ended up uh, where you grew up and how you ended up in china um, okay. So yeah, not so quick, I guess. Uh, I grew up in Toronto, um, you know, uh, and it was okay. I knew from like a fairly young age that I was ready to go somewhere. Um, I always really liked Asia. Uh, I went to schools that were predominantly like Cantonese. You know, a lot of my friends were from Asia. I always liked the culture. Went to university, studied English literature, finished university, and really, like, I went backpacking for a year and a half and then was working in, like, a pillow factory, thinking, like, what am I doing with my life? Did you say pillow factory? Yeah, I worked in a pillow factory because it was, like, (laughs) easy. How were breaks there at that? (laughs) They never figured out where to put themselves. Oh, it sounds so relaxing, but, like... Pre-pillow pillows come in, like, 500-kilogram bales of, like, pillow fluff that you, like, put through, like, basically a giant hair dryer, which, like, builds it up with, like, an unbelievable amount of static electricity. And, like, if you are not standing on the grounding thing, it's, like, getting hit with a defibrillator. I mean, there Is that was... that what happened to your hair? <laughs> that's, that, that's where my hair went. No. No, I uh, gradually... That's a I good get, excuse. Yeah. Can I use that excuse? I'm going to tell everybody I used to work in a pillow factory and I just lost my hair because of the electrostatic, you know, from all the pillows. Then I, I was in Korea, which like we can chat about. I think a lot of international school teachers start their journey in the hagwons or like the language schools. Jackie says she did it too. You know, and it's kind of like they take anyone. Um, I, I have quite a few good stories around there, but like I, I worked at three different schools every year I transitioned. It's, um, you know, one way to move up is like know when you aren't getting what you want out of a position anymore. You know, like you work somewhere when it's no longer stimulating, time to move. Uh, in summary, so after three years in Korea at these different schools, at my last school, I was like the head teacher for it was actually a bigger school. We had 12 teachers and like 
800 students. And I was like, I'm not going anywhere higher in the Hagwans. So I'm going to go back to Canada, get my teacher certificate. So the last year for people not from Ontario, like the, it used to be eight months getting to end to be like a certified teacher. And you get a degree, a certificate out of it, everything. So I made it into the last cohort at uh, Lakehead University Ooh, in Thunder Bay. Thunder Bay. I, I got into a couple of different universities. I ended up going to Lakehead because I was really worried about like the police background checks and getting them done from <laughs> we have a whole segment for that. Too. Don't worry yeah. about it. Um, <laughs> That's the Patreon I'm always worried. Of, I'm always worried about the background check yeah. too. For what it's worth, Ryan. <laughs> yeah. So to put it in context, and not because I did anything wrong, is how do I like? What do the what do I need to do? Like I have like two weeks before school starts. I'm not allowed in the building if I don't want to have this like check that's supposed to take three months. And I'm in South Korea, so like, and they were the only people that answered their phone. So I ended up going to uh, Lakehead, but it was like top, like a really, really, really good experience. Like it's a, it's kind of, if you're not from Canada, like it's a, not a very well-known university, but it's um, like, they've got a huge Aboriginal population. You get to work with a very unique part of the Canadian demographic. That's like an integral part to what we learn growing up. But in many places you don't get like exposure to that and like the reality there. Uh, and going to Lake had really shaped a lot of my views and understandings as a teacher. And, I mean, like that could be like a whole talk. So it's what I learned in Thunder Bay. Um, but I had a friend, um, I had a friend in China who um, I'd met in Korea who was working at a school in Nanning, uh, Guangxi, which is actually also a, a really amazing part of China. Um, it's like, if you've seen Avatar, like that's where it's filmed. It's like that type of geography. Oh, we're talking trees and hills. Yeah, like those terrace mountains, which just kind of like stick up like pillars uh, in the middle of nowhere. Does it um, glow at night? Yeah, those mm-hmm. purple monsters. Glowing and giant blue cat people. <laughs> no. um, but it's, uh, it's also like the part of China with like a huge indigenous like minority population. And so like the, the, the drum and... Ryan, sorry to interrupt. Is that the the Chinese Uyghurs? What what is the indigenous population in that area? And so the the Uyghurs are in the northwest. This is the southwest. It's right by Vietnam. So like there's the Miao, who in English we call the Hmong people, and the Chuang okay. and the Dong uh, minorities. Those are kind of like the main ones there. Yeah, and so I, I worked there. I worked there for two years. Uh, first year as an English and social studies teacher. Second year as English, computer science, head teacher, and then halfway through principal. That was really rough. Um, And I was like, look, again, like that's another story. But um, as the principal, it was a lot for a teacher with like a year and a half experience. Like I was 30. (laughs) Um, And like we did well. We got the first cohort with like 100% graduation rate. I mean, we had issues. The way I would describe administration at the different levels is that as you go up the problems become less frequent but more severe so like in pre-k it's like oh my god he's you know touched my shoe and then in like high school you know it's when the problems come up it's like they they tend to be big issues so um so i was like look i'm primary trained i'm gonna go to ocas i'm gonna go to another school i'm gonna leave the canadian international school curriculum because it's not developed for international schools. It's a Canadian curriculum transplanted internationally. So I'm like sitting here, it's 35 degrees out, trying to explain to like Chinese students what like a skidoo, like, you know, what a snowmobile is and what a double-double is from Tim Hortons <laughs> because like that's in the readings that like they have to go over. And like they have no context or like could not care less about this. So what's a double-double? A double-double. Is well, that like, are you kidding count, me? Is that- you don't know what a double-double is? Are we gambling? Is that where we're doubling down? What's going on? Two cream. Is that two a Canadian thing? Two sugar in your coffee. Double, double. Yeah. So we have like Tim Hortons in Canada. So you go there, you say, I want to double, double, single, single, like uh, two cream, two sugar, one cream, one sugar. Um, I just found it wasn't like contextually relevant. It didn't, um, it didn't mean something. The school that we ended up at for all its like positives and negatives, which there are everywhere, but a really interesting mission and vision, which was like, Chinese origins, global originalities, but like the idea that you put the host country's culture first, that seemed, you know, really significant to me. Yeah, Greg. 
the school that you were principal at that you were working at for several years, was it a smaller school? Because my vision of schools in China is like two or 3,000, like at the Shanghai schools. Uh, It was a really small school, um, kind of. So we were on a Chinese host campus that was like huge. You know, that was like 4,000, 5,000 kids. But our international school was about, like I I would say about 120 to 160 students, dependent on uh, when you came in. It had to do, especially with the demographic, like Guangxi is one of the poorest provinces in China. You know, it was a smaller school and like there's issues that come with that, but you know, it was a, it was a great experience. If you go to foundation schools or like these smaller schools that are maybe less resourced, but like you're, you you want to learn and you want to like cut your teeth hard, like it's not a place to coast, but also at my school in Suzhou, like there was just so much to do. If, you know, you go to one of those schools and you say like, look, I want to set up your network infrastructure. That's how I became the IT director. You know, I, I was just doing so much stuff like in my classroom. And they're like, yeah, for free? Like, sure. And then you'll find like you get promoted like in a year uh, to like some ridiculous position. The smaller schools, you wear a lot of hats. Yeah. And the smaller schools have you know, a whole different idea to them than the bigger schools. And like the ones in Shanghai that I had been to, I think it was the Shanghai Community International School was like 3,000 students and you're on this huge campus. But my experience has been through different kinds of like sized schools. Ours right now is huge, but I worked at one that was maybe 200 students. So I can really empathize with how you're, you're, you're building things at a smaller school, right? You mentioned that in your classroom, you were trying to do lots of different experimental things. And a lot of those smaller schools, you might be the only person there that's doing that section or that grade level even. And so a lot of them let you have that kind of uh, experience, like that freedom. I didn't want to sound judgmental on whether it's a big school good or a small school bad. Both size schools really have their benefits yeah there's something i would call like institutional inertia and so like if you go to a smaller school or a new school it doesn't have much it's quite easy to move things but if you go to a bigger or well-established school it can be really hard to get anything done you know depending on who you are and what drives you like i really i found it really invigorating Yeah, we're at a school right now where it's slow as molasses to get something really instigated, right, Kent? I think Kent is is one of those movers and shakers. Oh yeah, I would say we have an we have quite an institution. (laughs) Wake up, Kent! Yeah, I was napping. Sorry, did you talk? (laughs) Hey, Ryan, uh, you you first of all, how many years did you spend in China in all? Uh, Six years. So let me see if I get the timeline correct. Six years in China. Mm -hmm. You make the move from China to Korea at that time. Uh, And are you married kids when you make that move or not yet? So three years in Korea originally. And during that time, I met my wife. Um, Then one year back in Canada for teacher's college then China for six years. Um, And we had uh, our first child like, the, he was 11 months when we left at the end of six years. So he was born in Korea and then like we flew back and did quarantine with a four month old in like China, which was, uh, you know, another experience. Uh, it was really nice. We we're like, got a baby, give us the suite. And they're like, sure. We got, had like a two, two floor, like luxury apartment for two weeks for our quarantine with like a jacuzzi in the top with like a skylight. I'm so jealous. I had like a, I had this (laughs) tiny little double, you know, queen size bedroom for 14 days when I had the quarantine back in China. So then you moved to Korea with Lisa and the kid, uh, the one child, and then um, mm-hmm. immediately went to Pusan? Yeah, yeah. So my wife, Hee-gyung, Lisa, her, um, her parents live really nearby to where we were. You know, I decided I was going to go independent after my time at the school um, and run my own ed tech consultancy. So it was between Canada and Korea. Korea was just a lower bar to entry. I mean, like, we'd lived there more recently feels a bit easier to get established. Like we don't really need a car to get around in Korea. To be honest, Asia is more convenient than Canada. 
like Canada, you want to go shopping, it's going to take you two hours. And like Korea, there's two just massive supermarkets and a wet market, like within like three minutes from my house and my child's daycare. And there's a park to walk the dog and like, um, like two subway lines, you know, all within three minutes of my house. So like, do they have double doubles there? They don't. They don't have Tim They have double doubles in Mexico. <laughs> I just learned double double. They have. <laughs> we have. We have. So I have no idea about the Middle East. Brian, I have when, to ask. when you and the fam come and stay with me in Mexico here in Central Mexico, I will take you to. I don't know. There's maybe eight Tim Hortons in Querétaro now. So yeah, oh. please. You know. So when we were in quarantine in Shanghai, because uh, we were there for like three days before we got moved to Suzhou, we, we could order delivery and like you could order from Tim Hortons. And like I didn't try Tim Hortons in China, so it's awesome. You know, order, I'll get like a mixed box of donuts. And then it came with like pork floss on it. And I was like, oh, this isn't Tim Hortons. This is a Chinese donut. You know, like um, and it's like, let's say an acquired or like regional taste, but not my favorite. Uh, can you stop for a second? Can you go back? What was it that was on the donuts? Pork what? Pork floss, which is like... Pork floss. Fluffy pork. Yeah, like fluffy pork. You can look it up and search for pork floss. It looks like um, it looks like, like it's orange. It looks, yeah, very stringy, like kind of pulled apart cotton. cotton so picture, ball. picture, you know pulled pork. You know pulled pork when it's been sitting out for a while and it yeah. starts to dry and it's just that disintegrated... Oh, yeah. Pork floss, that's what they put on top of a donut. There you go. Well, that's important in China, in some parts of China, I would imagine. Okay, great. Hey, I have a quick question for you, Ryan, because we're talking about China and Korea a lot. Um, how many languages do you speak? Uh, I speak... Uh, you speak Cantonese? No, I, I speak English well, and I speak, like, getting by Korean. I, I'm not very much a, a linguist. or. Multiple. I mean, it's not important for our listeners. I mean, we always talk about this. It's English is the lingua franca of this international schools but i know that kent you know he's working on japanese and he's got arabic and jp's got spanish and she's got a, a you know a bunch of other languages i just thought i'd ask you because you're canadian i was wondering if you're apart from the canadian french if you're had part of that or cantonese or korean so that's interesting to know i mean you can make it really work you speak tech hmm. i would imagine yeah I speak, so yes I let's move into the tech section of the podcast so Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? So you were talking about tech consultant, but can you um, dive into that a little bit more? Talk about the journey, I guess. Like, so when I, I was at OCAC or OCAS, um, I had moved up into the uh, tech director role where like, really we had no infrastructure. We had um, nobody with like an educational background really dictating what kind of technology we use in the school or where it unfolds. Um, and we had nobody with like a vision for how to unfold that. So um, I worked a lot with the different divisions. You know, my background is in education. It's not in technology. Like I have no formal certificate in any of this. Um, I picked up like a lot of skills when I moved to China because of internet restrictions in China, you can like, you can't access a lot of things, especially if you've got like Chinese national students, because you can't say like, use a VPN, you know, like, no, that's not, you know, it's not legal. Um, but what you can do, if you know how, is deploy a server and like run your own infrastructure. So I spent a lot of time like learning how to do that, learning how to like write my own code, write my own apps, um, because I, you know, I dabbled in that in high school and kind of left it. But, you know, I had enough of a foundation of interest to pick it up. So, you know, I, I followed that interest, like really, really down the rabbit hole and started talking at conferences about what I was doing. And like, um, you know, it was uh, I was doing a lot around data and infrastructure development and blah, blah, blah. And there was enough interest from schools. I was like, hey, maybe I can sell what I do mm. to people. And then I got really lucky because there's a big company called Faria who runs an SIS LMS called Manageback, which just for the sake of your listeners, it's a class slash student management system where you can take attendance and like submit grades and like assign assignments, manage your classes, also write your curriculum for IB schools, especially. Yeah, Kent, I wanted so, to ask you, have you ever heard of Manageback? Because 
I've worked, I've worked in a number of IB schools and it's very popular for IB. Um, So I had been wondering if it had cracked into other markets yet. Okay. No, we still have something called Schoology and some other Mm -hmm. stuff that is, feels a little archaic nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So I I worked a lot with them. I built a lot like on top of their platform and extending it that I'd, um, you know, gotten to know some people there, including like the CEO. And they were like, Hey, Ryan, if you go independent, you know, we'll hire you as a consultant. And so that, um, that gave me a lot more foundation where like I was able to, you know, I started in, what was it? 2021. I started in July, uh, July, 2021 doing that. And I was able to like make an income that year, you know, from July to December and then grow it afterwards. So like, I wasn't, you know, I think a lot of people who go independent, it's hard to get established. I mean, Jacqueline, you've also, I think oh, yeah. run the gamut. Like when you first start and you're just like sitting there and you're like, you know, I hope somebody Yeah, the first year, you know? first year is a lot of crickets. And then the second year you word spreads. So, yeah. I run what's got to be like one of the dullest parts of the school, but it's, I do a lot of the work that I do now is data warehousing and data integration for schools. So it's not incredibly exciting, but what, what this means is like, you're using some platform, all your kids' data, all your school data is on the cloud. It's at the behest of whatever system you're using. So what I do is I help schools bring that data into their school and then like generally build integrations so that like you don't need to have a full-time staff member like copying data from Schoology into like your ECA program or whatever, something like that. So we'll build like integrations around there. Um, I was doing data analytics, um, but data analytics is very school specific. So I found that like in my role, do I want to work with one school and do put in the work to serve one school or do I want to put into the work to do something that can serve a hundred schools and then like more focus on the product side. And so that's where kind of I've I've gone. Um, So tell us a little bit about what it felt like in that first maybe like three months where you were out of the classroom. So I was actually out of the classroom in China. Like, so, but you mean like out of the schools? Yeah. Like your, your office, uh, your home office is now your office. You know, you roll out of bed, you put on a shirt. Hopefully Greg uh, puts on pants most of the time we were. Yeah. It's pants. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, now I and always so wear I'm, pants during these. <laughs> and then, and then you. Our proof, listeners are going to get the proof. wrong feeling about. <laughs> and me. then you roll up to your your laptop or your computer. Yeah. So I mean, like when we first moved here, we because uh, we we rented a place when we were in China and it was a lot smaller than we expected, and we had like a dog and um, a kid, like a. a, a one-year-old and my wife in like this tiny apartment. So I spent most of the first year working out of coffee shops. Uh, I've actually now got my own like little office. I rented an office tell, which is like office slash apartment, you know, like in Korea um, that I work out of now so that I have like a quiet space to work. Um, But yeah, no, it was, I was lucky again because I had the consultancy with Faria Um, as well as like our old school, they brought me on as a consultant to basically ease the transition. Um, and then there was another, I had one other school when I started. So I had three clients when I, before I started, um, and now I have more, but you know, it's about like finding that balance again. Like how do I support the different clients across So now like I have schools I don't have any schools in North America or South America, but like Europe and Asia. So Ryan, you're a one person operation. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I work independently now. Um, hopefully, you know, I'll be able to hire somebody else at some point, but like, there's always like, you know, it's, it's very much like if I hire someone, like, will it bring in more value than it costs me? And like, also how long does it take to train them? And, you know, there's a lot of complexity that comes with hiring someone. Do I hire someone locally versus online? And then there's a lot to decide. But I think it, 
I'm getting to a point where I think I will need to soon. So Ryan, does it get, uh, as time goes by, does your job get easier? You get more contacts, you get a little bit more established, or I'm kind of thinking maybe people jump into the field, there's competition out there. How's it, how has it changed over the, uh, well, I want to say three years. How, how many years, years now? Um, how has it changed over that time? I, I don't really feel threatened by like competition. You know, I, um, I position myself in the market uh, so that basically like schools can pay a rich vendor, you know, like one of these big systems, like uh, there's things like Clever and Classlink, which are integration systems. So like you sign up for this and it'll take your students from somewhere and put it into everything else. But like it's a one size fits all thing. So when schools find they're frustrated and they need something built just for them, you know, like for their own like little snowflake of needs, then they'll call me and then I'll go in and help them. But like my bandwidth is fairly limited as a single person. So, you know, I might pass work on to somebody else or somebody else might pass work on to me, um, you know, depending on our skills, uh, you know, and where our skill set lies. Um, hey, Ryan, could you um, do me a favor? Could you tell our listeners how to find you online so we could they could listen? And while they're listening to our conversation, they might tap in and, and see what your website's all about. So my website is 4.education. You can just type that in, 4.education. No dot com. No for the number or F-O-U-R? F-O-R. 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 Like for education. So www.education. For for dot education. So no www. Just it's for dot education. So like, what do you do? I work on tech for education. You know. So yeah, they can find out a little bit about it there. I was looking at this before our conversation started. There's a lot of talk out there these days about um, automation and about Chat GPT. It's like the buzzword in our school. You know this all of this kind of stuff. And I was, I was enjoying going through your website because you do have a lot of tools out there. You have a lot of, a lot of experience with, with AI even. And I was hoping that you could touch a little bit about that. Like why would teachers want to go to your website if they were interested to get their school, maybe a smaller school in South America, right? Why would they be interested after listening to our show? Would they go to your site and investigate a little bit? Well, I definitely appreciate the promotion. Um, yeah, for, um, I, I do have a lot of interest in AI. I, I dabbled in it before, like the you know world one took off about like just over a year ago. Um, I'm, I, yeah, I'm looking at also offering more AI services that will be a bit more teacher centric uh, in the future. Um, my interest around AI, especially in schools, is this: like, I think, um, I think there's a there's a lot of ways to approach it. I I think that the low hanging fruit with AI in education is to say like, okay, how do I automate a lot of my teaching stuff, you know, and and like kind of spend less time on X so I can spend more time on Y and hopefully Y is also related to your job. I'm a little bit cynical about it because, you know, as professionals, you don't want to like necessarily outsource your job to a system that means you are now out of work, right? Like there is that consideration there. I guess my interest predominantly with AI and education is how to manage it as an organization. Like I worked a lot in senior leadership in my profession. And so I don't like the idea of like all the teachers just going into chat GPT and like saying, hey, you know, I'm teaching Kent and Kent's like doing great in English, but like, you know, he's having some problems at home or something. And that's like, don't know. You like, this is a huge privacy issue. There's not a lot of education around what data gets shared there. Um, And then on top of that, there's like a lot of systems coming out now that, um, you know, promise a lot, but like, you don't know where your data goes. And then like, if I'm a school leader, like, if I'm the head of English, maybe I don't want my staff using AI to grade papers because the, where's the accountability layer there, you know? So I'm really interested in, as like an organization, how do we develop oversight over these processes so that A, 
um, there's a data privacy and security piece there that's taken care of. But then B, also we look at um, how we can best implement processes in a school. So it's not about restricting teachers. It's not about saying like, hey, Ryan, you can't use this to grade students. It's about saying like, look, we recognize that this is a need in a school. So we're going to build a custom thing that meets our needs where we have a way to evaluate it. So like if anyone's been a part of like change management in schools or like, uh, you know, action committees, whatever you want to call it, a professional learning committee, where you're going to drive an initiative in a school, then what you do is you say, this is what our input's going to be. This is what we're going to do. These are our expected outcomes. This is how we're going to measure it. And currently with AI systems, it's very, very difficult to get that critical analysis of how it works in your organization. So that's something I'm really interested in exploring now. And I'll have quite a bit more in the new year around that um, about really like empowering. So three things, I guess, number one, data security and ensuring like the data is not just going everywhere and people aren't using this too loosely. Number two, having oversight control and the way to effectively like use AI in the school. Um, and then number three, uh, it's something like I would call like AI as a reality uh, rather than AI as a tool. And so like I was having a conversation a couple of weeks ago with like a, an early years principal. And he said like, Great. You know, I get how this works like as, um, you know, for teachers, what does this look like in my classroom? You know, what does this mean? And, you know, I said, I have a three-year-old and he doesn't understand that Siri isn't real. You know, I think Siri is a person who lives in the phone. Using ChatGPT, like you might anthropomorphize and feel like it's a human, but it's not. Like even as an adult, it's hard to make that distinction. So how do we start developing that kind of literacy for younger kids? And so like, what would that look like in early years? It's maybe like an app where they can talk to the AI and have a conversation. They can say like, oh, how do you tie your shoes? And then the AI can say like, oh, I can't tie my shoes because I'm not a real person. And like, you know, you build a system and you build like this communication so that we can start building that interaction with students, let's say. Um, and I could go on and on. <laughs> All right, let's take a moment for a little commercial about how to get in touch with us. You can, of course, find all four of us at the itpexpat.com. That's www.itpexpat.com. Or you could also find us at email at internationalteacherpodcast at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Or if you're into Facebook, we have a new Facebook group at www.facebook.com slash groups slash ITP expat, where you can find all kinds of inside information about ITP expat. You can also find us on Instagram at ITP expats. That's with an S ITP expats is our handle. All right. And thank you, listeners. We have over a hundred countries represented by our listeners. And though we're not monetized, we are here for you. And we would like to thank all of you for listening. So let's get back to the show. Can I quote you from your website? Sure. I'd like to quote something from your blog. And as a teacher, I'm looking at this, not as an administrator or even a techie. I'm looking at it like through the eyes of Kent or, or me as a homeroom teacher. And this is really cool. You were talking about chat GPT and AI in general. And you said, um, it said, it's talking about the process of it. And it's saying, if, if what we value is the journey and the experience, then automation makes little sense. Driving through a tunnel to the other side of the mountain versus hiking over it serve very different purposes. Generally, if our goal is to learn and develop our own selves, we should be wary of shortcuts. And what's interesting about it, and I just wanted to comment on that, um, is that this chat GPT, it sounds like a magic bullet for a lot of teachers. And the, the principals are questioning it. And our principal questions it with that eye of, of caution, right? He's, he's asking questions about it. And we're just starting this journey. 
And it's great that you're right on the front line about it. That's what I was saying about, that's how I was sort of hinting at teachers even going to your website and finding out about what there is out there, what you can do for their school or how you might be able to help out a school, direct them in the right direction for using AI or developing the data they already have before they go into AI mm -hmm. stuff, right? Because I, I see a lot of connections. I was excited when I saw this, and I haven't gone through the, the website, the whole thing. But your blog is very from the heart, and I like how cautionary, cautionary you are because teachers all over the world are talking about this. Kent, can you go into ChatGPT and do all of your, your comments for, for class, right? Is that genuine enough, or is that the shortcut through the mountain? Mm -hmm. One thing I wanted to ask you with AI, you jumped into the IB and you were training a database with IB, right, Ryan? So, yeah, I, I was training um, like an AI model on like the IB curriculum. Um, it can get like pretty in the weeds for what that means, but put it simply, like I took the MYP language arts curriculum and I generated like 10,000 questions by sending um, like you take sentences of it and then you say to like chat GPT, please export like a question and an answer, you know, based off of this or like, actually what I would do is I do it separately. I would say like, here is a paragraph, generate five questions. And then I would send it the paragraph with a question and I would say, please answer it. And then I use that as my data set to train an AI. Um, this is just on my local computer. And I was able to get a system that sounded a lot like, you know, the IB guides. Um, you know, if you want to train an AI like OpenAI, you need like millions of dollars. But if you want to like kind of fine tune tone, uh, you can do it locally. There's a, there's a lot of really interesting stuff there. Uh, Huggingface.co. Uh, if people want to go there, that's like kind of like the makerspace for AI. Um, if you really want to like dive deeper and, and learn a bit more about it, that's just like one of the most exciting communities on the internet right now. Um, it wasn't something that I ended up uh, releasing because it still had a lot of kind of inaccuracies. And then the models that I was using, like they're now out of date because everything moves at like the speed of light with AI. But, um, but it was really interesting because I'm really, you know, I'm really interested in schools not using ChatGPT and like your school having an AI in-house where you can be like, oh yeah, you know, We've got like an outbreak of diarrhea and like, I don't know, it doesn't matter. You don't want like this to be broadcast on the internet and it all happens offline. All is processed locally, entire like data security uh, and auditable. Like that's, that's really exciting to me. So lay, lay um, person's question here, because um, I don't know about you, Kent, <laughs> but these two techie guys talking to each other, it's like, am I in another language? Yeah, thank you for joining us on This Week in Technology. <laughs> no, 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 no. I have a question. I have a question. So, Ryan, when you were talking about uh, an open AI versus the AI that's on your computer, is this something like uh, the internet intranet, sort of that your AI that, I don't know, is he living in your computer? Then he is. he doesn't have access to the outside world. Yeah, so like, I mean, think of it, think of AI simply as a computer program. So OpenAI, it's the company that makes ChatGPT. Don't like it's a it's a proper noun, OpenAI. They're not very open. Um, so they they make uh, they make ChatGPT. So when you ask ChatGPT a question, you're sending your question to ChatGPT and to a company. But it's a computer that program own, that, that will own this data. Will they own it? Yeah, potentially. Like they have really bad data privacy. Yeah really, really bad data privacy. Like um, basically if you're using it, they, they're free to look at whatever you've been talking about to it, you know, and use that to train other models, etc. cetera. Um, but you can also run, like you can also run some computer programs on your computer. You know, you can run AIs on your computer. Um, so you need a pretty good computer, uh, you know, like not necessarily like a, a multi-million dollar computer, but like at least, you know, an expensive computer, um, but a school could potentially run it in-house and it doesn't talk to you. 
What the reason I brought it up, JP, is that, and I didn't mean to get so techie on it. I apologize. He's a very techie guy. Yeah. No, don't apologize at all. It's my fault for bringing it up on our tech ITP episode, <laughs> Kent. Right, but here's what I, what I want to bring it down to our listeners is that Ryan has has some experimental stuff and he has some ideas for schools that are safer than just using the open source type of, of chat GPT and everybody jumping on board and using it. In general, I, I look at myself as being able to offer kind of expert services when schools need it more broadly. But yeah, especially working with data or AI on an implementation level, not on a policy level. Yeah. So like of most consultants that you see, they're like, We'll come in and help you write your policies, you know, and help you look at this. And more my approach is, you know, I'll come in and try to build something for you that runs on your systems. And I would like to kind of pivot more or at least develop a side of things that harkens back to my old life as a teacher and like ways that you can implement AI uh, in the classroom or like with students, again, less as a tool and more as like a reality like. Um, so I'll be writing a lot more about this. This might be a reason to come and look at my website. For example, exploring disinformation by using AI. I was a language teacher. So we look at like disinformation and like reliability of sources. It's a fairly difficult concept, but now like kids can generate their own disinformation and like evaluate it. What, what are like the actions? Why do people do this? They can like, you know, use it to try and detect bias in like these different systems. I think like that's super exciting, you know, where you look at it more like, what is this new world that we live in? How do we, how do we develop preparedness for ourselves as well as like our students? Hey Ryan, question for you. Uh, you got a young teacher out there. They're interested in technology. They got a little background. They have all of these questions and ideas in their head. Maybe they want to make that transition that you've made into a broader world of technology. What advice and what lessons do you have for those maybe that, that next generation who, who want to follow on your path? Always learn new things. You know, like you've always got to be learning new things. You've always got to be trying new things. I don't know. It's risk evaluation. I mean, Greg, you said I'm really cautious, but like it's scary and it depends on where you are in your life. And so like, uh, you know, before I took the step, um, and this is more broadly than just tech, it's, you know, like, what happens if I fail? Like, that was the big question is like, like, let's say, you know, do I have enough money to like coast for how long? And then if that happens, like, what happens? You know, and I was married with a kid and a dog, you know, like I had responsibilities. And so having that, I think, is important because you're going to know how far you can go and where you can go. And really like wherever you are, it's not too early to start trying, you know, like I guess mostly like if you're interested in going independent, go independent while you still have a job, you know, like start looking for clients, start getting like interest, see like, is there enough traction? So like, basically like it's like market research, like are you selling something people want to buy? Um, and then if they, are interested, you know, like, then you can go ahead I'll, I'll, to make it more relevant to teaching, I guess, like you lose a lot going this route. Like I don't interact with kids anymore. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't even like necessarily interact with like colleagues very much. You know, I'm very much like behind my computer. A lot of the time I went into education because I didn't want to sit in front of a computer all the time. And now that's like my life. So it's romantic and exciting. And like, the, it is a lot of fun. I like, the trajectory I took, but like, there's a lot that you lose, you know, like being a teacher is really special. I mean, to be honest, I think like a lot of my more exciting and fun stories are like around my time in schools and like those interactions, a lot of like the tech and business stuff is like, you know, it's dry or heavy or like these weird, like passionate things that I can just, you know, like get in a little spiral about. Um, so look at what you're losing, you know, like being a computer science teacher versus like, I don't know, some IT consultant, like really, really different jobs. You know, like when I was a computer science teacher, like we built like Pac-Man, like uh, 
I, I built my class so that the last three months, the kids were just independent, building their own project. Basically, like they had to submit a proposal and then like set their own goals. And I was like, we structured it like, like they were running a startup with investors and I was their investor. Um, and anyways, the kids building Pac-Man, like we downloaded like the Pac-Man development diaries, which are like fascinating. It took two years to build and like um, every single ghost in Pac-Man has its own personality and they had to implement Blinky. that. Like that was one of the Blinky. Blinky, yeah, Inky, Blinky, Pinky, and Clyde are the four ghosts in Pac-Man. And it was like... JP, you actually named Oh, the I just yeah. played yeah. Pac-Man right. less than a year ago. I found... A, or Miss Pac-Man. I found an... It was a V Pac-Man. I found an old video arcade machine and it still took a quarter. I was so excited. Wow. And I and I uh, got the um, high score in one one quarter. That's how much I played when I was a kid. I loved that game. So they so they built um so they built their own Pac-Man from from the notes. Yeah, yeah, like they, they designed it from the ground up. Like everything was them from the art to everything. It runs in a, a web browser, and like it was just it was so much fun. Like you you could take what they were interested in and go with it. Like uh, you know, I only taught maybe like fifteen kids IT, and of those kids, like ten of them like graduated university with IT degrees. Uh, a bunch of them are doing their masters. Uh, I taught like thousands of kids English. And I don't think any of them ever went to study literature. But um, you know, I miss I miss that. But are side they speaking of, English though? Hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Bet you do. Uh, Ryan, you're living in Busan, uh, Korea. You've been there for how many years? You've been there now. I've been here for two and a half years since I came back. I two mean, now, okay. it's like five. Yeah. Since you got back, your wife is—I believe your wife is from Pusan. Yeah, Pusan. You now have a child. Your child is how old? So we have a three-year-old and a three-month-old. Oh, congratulations! By the way, I did not know that a second one congratulations. joined. Congratulations! Very nice. So now two children, one dog. Yeah, one dog. Uh, In fact, he knows you? my dog. Yeah, the dog's name what has a girl's guys... name, like Lacey or. Madeline. Madeline, yeah, Maddie. Madeline. Maddie. <laughs> she followed me to school and I took her home. You do, uh, you and your wife have a plan. The kids are getting older. They're going to be going to school. Do you stay? They, the kids go to school. They grow up, go to Korean school. They go to middle school, high school. How far ahead have you thought about this? Um, so we're likely going to move to Calgary at some point in the next two or three years, I think. Um, and it's, you know, it's not an easy decision, but it is fundamentally, I think it comes down to, um, at least right now, the weight, the value versus like the effort versus value of a Canadian or Western high school diploma versus a Korean one is going to go a lot further, you know, like, um, and it's, it's unfortunate, but it's true. So like in Korea, there's a government mandate that 10% of enrollment for all the universities should come from overseas. So basically, like, even for Korean schools, they are at an advantage if they graduate with a Canadian diploma. Um, and also, like, Korea's got a very intense uh, curriculum, and it's very knowledge-centric rather than, like, experience-centric. So... And they still have those middle school and high school exams, don't they? Yeah. Do you guys know do. about that, like... Greg and Kent? The so no. Is it in order to advance to the next level, you have to pass a national exam? Well, you, to be able to get into the great schools, you need to uh, study not only your eight to four, or eight to or seven to four um, high school and. And middle school, but you have to go to these cram schools, what we call hagwon, and and they have to study math and study English and study science and study everything, like even history, to be able to pass these exams to be in that top percentage. And so, Ryan, it's still it's still existing. Yeah, it still exists, and like based on your performance on the middle school exam, like that can determine what university you go to, you know, like, so there's like an incredible amount of pressure from a very, very young age here in the school system, as well as like, I mean, I would say like, it's actually quite culturally accepting where we are now. Um, you know, we, I had experiences in the past, but we don't anymore, but still it's like relatively homogenous. So like the kids would go from being like 
you know, like just a handful of the kind of mixed kids that everyone kind of knows to just being another kid in the crowd in Canada. Um, but there are benefits to each. Like for all I'm saying, like I know a lot of expats here, these kids have gone through the whole system, you know, and they've done really well here. Um, Korea is, you know, one of the world's fastest growing economies. It's done huge things. Canada is not, you know, a little bit. So like, it's not an easy decision, to be honest. And why I Calgary mean, and the not weather. Toronto? Well, Toronto... Um, By the way, Greg, can, can you hear the Canadians say Toronto? We don't say Toronto. <laughs> so the two, I just realized... Yeah. Welcome to the Canadian episode <laughs> of ITP, Right, I just everybody. realized we were the totally Canadian pronouncing it the way that, you know, two Canadians would say to each other, Toronto, Toronto, Toronto. Oh, yeah. Toronto, yeah. Yeah, um... It's, it's expensive. Like it's prohibitively expensive. Um, first of all, and second of all, like I grew up there and I left and I like, I don't want to go back there. I don't know. Like you go to Calgary, you're like two hours from the Rocky mountains, you know, like we can go like camping all the time, tons of skiing. It's like the outdoors is there, uh, are there, but, um, you know, and it's, uh, a little bit different culturally. Like I, I like the West coast a little bit more. It's not quite BC, but it's, um, I don't know. I, I, I lived like I worked in like Louise for four months back in the olden days. Um, and if you guys don't know, it's a small like tourist town in the Rocky mountains. And it, like, it's, it's just beautiful. It's if you amazing. go Google Lake Louise, you're going to see, um, the Fairmont hotel, one of the Fairmont hotels. I had a cousin that worked at that Fairmont hotel and I visited her. It's it's a turquoise lake. The lake is a turquoise color. It's gorgeous with the white snow-capped mountains. So Calgary yeah. and Korea and Pusan, you're gonna have a bit of a culture shock. But that's a couple years. You've got a couple years to get used to that culture shock. Yeah, yeah, it'll be different, but I think it will be um it'll be a move where it just like yeah, but again, it's not it's not like a it won't be an easy move, but I think it's something like we've kind of decided we will try. And then, you know, again, what's our failure? Come back to Korea, you know, it's pretty nice. Or move to Mexico. Uh, move to Mexico, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a great segue into my question, Ryan. Every episode we always ask somebody, what are three things that you take with you from country to country that and not including like your wife and your child, your children. Okay. Like Kent says, those are mandatory, of course, but what are three things that you take with you when you travel from country to country to live, to make you feel at home? Oh, I think, um, I'm not a very big, like physical possessions person. Like, I mean, if we're not talking about like the family and including the dog, um, I mean, it would be around like, sensibilities is that like you know be open to the people around you like maybe it's a bit cliche but like um you know i got my start internationally like uh chicken busting it through like central america um you know and it's just like really like how do you face like the the adversities um it, it's not an adversity you're experiencing other people's lives so like be open be curious and like, you know, try to learn from others, um, you know, like, uh, doesn't matter who they are, you know, there's always something you can learn from somebody, you know, whether they're three or they're, you know, something else, you know, I learned a lot from my kid, you know, my son all the time. And like, so yeah, cause I don't know, I bring my clothes and my like toothbrush, <laughs> a lot of people, I don't know, I'll buy it. No. Yeah. That's fair enough. I know we've had different guests. We had one guest that was uh, Jacqueline. Maybe you remember who it was. I can't remember off the top of my head. It said, I need a place to run. Right. And that's not a physical thing. Oh, I was, that was just Keith. wondering if that was my, um, you know, yeah, for, my mentor, Keith, he needs, right, he Keith always Boniface. needs a place okay. to run. Mm -hmm. I like what you said, Ryan, because when I travel, I, I like to quote Anthony Bourdain. He always said, be a traveler, not a tourist, no matter how long you are in some place reach out. And like you said, it's about the people that are there and you're a guest and you want to sort of learn from them. And I love that. It's, I keep saying, I love that, but I, it's truly, it rings really true with me. 
to do that and live with the experience the people that are there experience the the fact that you're a guest in a different place and learn from them i love that let's take some final thoughts if we can oh, wait can there's another question. question kent is there another question you you think Ryan's on a on a top ten wanted list? Oh, well, someplace? he mentioned Let's he mentioned the whole police check. I don't he think... had to go to Lakehead University for God's sake to avoid the police check. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there might be put down by the authorities. That's the one place they would. I think walk. there might be an interesting Kent, police. Kent doesn't story. listen to our episodes, Ryan. <laughs> so go Ryan, ahead, Ryan, have you got ahead, a police story for us? Or if not a police story, then it could be like a custom story. Yeah, I, I'm so, yeah, in um, my first school in China, I did have issues with um, the, the staff. Uh, like, this actually is kind of a common refrain in China uh, that I've heard from quite a few teachers. If you leave the country in China, when you come back, you've got to register within 24 hours, re-register with the police station. So um, my school told me, yeah, don't worry, we take care of it, we do it. Um, and they didn't. And when they were renewing my like residency permit, like they were like, we didn't do it. You got to go down to the police station and we're getting like, we get brought into like an interrogation chair and like, you can look up what a Chinese interrogation chair is. And like, it's fairly intense. And like, we're sitting there, they brought my wife in too, and like interviewed her like separately. But like when I was there, like the school staff is there and they're like, they're the translator. They're like, why didn't you register? And it's like, because my translator lied to me. And like, I don't know if she translated it, but they did it. And then like, and this isn't like Nanning Guangxi. Like they they like finished it and then the computer crashed or like the power went out. And then like, they're like, oh, we didn't save it. We got to do it again. This happened four times. And and you as the techie guy were like, wait, can I just get into your computer system and fix this, please? This was a four times. I was the I was the principal of the school, and like uh, when this happened, and um, I know what happened to Stephen Keegan also, who was the principal at OCAC. He had the same experience. Um, so, like, I'm sitting there at like two o'clock in the morning in the police station, like faxed this report finally to uh, to Beijing, and it's like I'm like looking at it, and I'm like, it says Meguel, like it says. America is my country. And they're like, yeah, you're American. I'm like, no, I'm Canadian. <laughs> and then like, and then the guy just looked at me like totally broken. And he said to me, like the chief of this station was like, this is why people don't come to China. <laughs> and it was like, it was, um, it was an experience. So yeah, that was, the, that was one of my customs experiences. We got out at like four and it was like that movie, dumb and dumber a little bit like with the computer crashing and just like like you had to look at it afterwards as like a point of absurdity where just like anyways after that then like just you do that thing you know you go to the police station drop off your thing show them your passport and it's fine but you always follow the rules know the rules of the country you live in on on the brighter <laughs> side at least it was an interrogation chair <laughs> It wasn't an interrogation floor. Yeah. Well, go, no, but go Google like Chinese interrogation chair. Oh, uh, interrogation. oh my god! Five minutes later, I got it. Chair okay. fork. Chair fork. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Ryan, you've given an hour of your time. It's very generous. Do you have any final thoughts you would like to share? So. I guess my philosophy when it came to teaching internationally, regardless of what position I was in, was that you're kind of in a role as like a cultural ambassador in some ways where like as much as the students, you know, you're there to teach them, you're also representing your culture, you know, and you're working with kids at quite a vulnerable age, like the interactions that they have with you, they're not going to have many other experiences potentially with somebody like you. And so, you know, you're really representing a lot there. Um, And be transparent about that. I always told the kids that when they go overseas, you know, with this experience that they're learning from me, they're also going to be like cultural ambassadors. So you're not only that, you're like training them. So really take an interest in their culture, you know, share what's valuable to you. Really, you know, like put your best foot forward, but also help them 
like show why, you know, like where they come from is amazing because everywhere, you know, that anyone comes from, like they're going to be passionate about it. So help them to showcase that to the world. You have been listening to the International Teacher Podcast with our very special guest, Ryan. You can find more about Ryan at 4for.education. Uh, I'd like to thank JP Mint. You could find out more about JP Mint at jpmintconsulting.com. And I'd also like to thank Greg, the single guy. It's not too late to purchase his newest book. It's called International Teaching, The Best Kept Secret, www.amazon.com. And you can find me in the staff lounge eating leftover holiday (laughs) treats. Thank you all very much for joining us this week. We'll see you next week. Well done, Kent. I love it. Sorry about the technology episode. Yeah. (laughs)